what happened for me was I was making, I was making my stuff. I was making digital art. Um, and I got to this point where I started to feel like it was only going to be good if I put more time and more effort into it. And so I was spending like three weeks on these pieces and they just looked like shit. They just looked terrible. They were overworked and pretentious and just stuffed with bullshit. And it just was no fun to make and no fun to look at. I feel like when you look at work that was fun to make, you can tell. Like when you look at Mike Slime's work, right? Like you can tell he has fun making that shit. And if you looked at this, like I feel awful looking at this. (laughs) I don't want to look at it. And I don't think I want to look at anything else. I'm going to have a shower and fuck this guy. And that's how it felt making it as well. So basically, long story short, I I closed Photoshop and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have some fun. So I fired up my old 3D software. The reason, no, like <laughs> for years and years, people have tried to replicate that old 3D style of mine, the really geometric style, and no one can fucking do it. And the reason for that is that I was rendering in Bryce 3D. Surprise, motherfuckers! <laughs> Talking about NFTs and that's nifty. That's nifty. All the great artists they come to this place to talk about the crypto space and that's nifty. That's nifty. That's nifty. Your hosts for tonight's podcast are Tyler. Larry and Slime Sunday. Damn, that's nifty. What's good? What up? Nice to see you, man. You as well. Hang on, let me hide myself. I fucking hate seeing myself on this show. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Mike can join us. Um, he's on the phone with Playboy right now, so we'll have to see if he can uh, finish that up. Yeah, no stress. So I'm glad you reached out, man. We've uh, been following your work for a little while. Not as long as you've been out, though. I mean, you're a pioneer and OG in this space, huh? Yeah, I'm fucking older than I look, hey. <laughs> yeah, man, no, it's been 20 years, so I'd be shocked if you'd been following the whole time. But, like, legit June 3rd is the 20-year anniversary of the day I joined DeviantArt, which was sort of the day that kicked the whole thing off. That's sick, dude. 20 years. That's fucking crazy, man. I can't believe that shit. <laughs> I feel like we're in the midst of that right now. You know, yeah, 30-year-olds just... Our mid our 20s just kind of disappeared. So that's the thing, man. I feel like youth is extended, you know. I mean, like you remember your grandparents, they looked 80 when they were 60, right? Like you look <laughs> at your parents now and shit, and they just look, you know, it's it's different. People are aging different, I think. You get a you get a whole extra decade of 20s now, I think. Seriously. I'll yeah. take that. Sounds good. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. we'll just like um reincarnate in the metaverse and we'll really never die. So uh, it's, that Black Mirror episode, right? San Junipero is seeming more and more realistic every fucking day. Seriously. Like every fucking day. We're just building straight directly towards San Junipero. <laughs> yep. That whole series. You can't tell me we're not. No, like, yeah, definitely. We're definitely in the same boat as you. The whole like socially, um, you know, upvoting or downvoting, like every action that people do. Like, that and then, big class shit. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. It's coming though. It's Dude, coming. I, don't, I don't know anything about BitClout. And I've chosen not to, but I don't, I, I don't know. I have someone explained it in a sentence. I have no idea. What it seems it like you can just squat on people's names there and make them have to buy it back from you or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's some shit like that. I don't know. It just seems disgusting and I'm not interested in it. Like yeah. I just don't have time for that shit. 
I had some guy in my DMs on Instagram, like at the start of the year, trying to sell me my um, .eth address, which he just bought. Yep. And he was like, you give me this much for it. Give me this much for it. I'm like, I don't fucking want it. I don't care if you have it. <laughs> no, .crypto is what he was trying to sell me. And he's like, well, Beeple bought his for me. I'm like, well, fucking good for you. <laughs> because Beeple is a smart man. Don't you think you should do what he does? I'm like, I still don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a marketing campaign. You have to try. Eventually, I bought it off him just because I, I, the DMs were driving me nuts. Why this just, just to shut you up? Exactly. <laughs> And he actually uh, seems like a nice enough kid. He's, he, started, he started doing 3D and he's sending me these renders he's doing. Like the last one was actually of a, a, a ball bag. It was of some testicles. <laughs> Wait, literally? Or it was that bad? No, it was testicles. It was a 3D render. Like, clear, clearly Homeboy is influenced by Mike, by, by people. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, like, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was an aggressive DM to get to begin with. And like, I didn't reply to that last one. So it was an aggressive DM to end on. Just walk it off. <laughs> That's amazing. I hope I never stumble upon that. <laughs> I don't think you will. <laughs> no, then you got to just take it and then try to sell it back to him. Yeah. yeah I, well, look, I, I, now I've got it. I have justinmallow.crypto. I've got no earthly idea what to do with it. Sit on it until it's relevant. Yeah, I guess. <sighs> right. Maybe not a bad business strategy. I can almost, I can almost see like the uh, the script being written of like the annoying little uh, I don't know the annoying little friend that's always on your tail until uh, you, you just hate him so much you love him. So maybe he'll be your yeah. sidekick. <laughs> I grew genuinely fond of this kid a little bit, but like he yeah, just had terrible he just had terrible time. He was DMing me every day. I was like dealing with all this stuff with my mom, and I'm like, dude, I just don't give a fuck about this domain you're squatting on right now. Can we do this another time? <laughs> Jeez, man. It's that's uh, fucking crazy. It's like shit you can't even like draw up. So let's talk about Depth Core. Sure. Tell us a Good little bit about start. that collective. So all right, fuck it. Let's go all the way back to the start. So it was um, like 2002. Um, I had been doing digital art for a few years, uh, but I found DeviantArt a year before, so I was doing it pretty seriously. And there were these art collectives out. Uh, there were two in particular: one called Breed and one called Rasta. And I just thought they were cool as shit. Right? It was just a bunch of like artists making art together sort of behind closed doors and they'd put out these themed releases every month or two or whatever, right? Cool, secret clubhouse art shit. I'm, I'm about it. Let me in, boys. And uh, they, weren't, they weren't about that. They weren't, <laughs> they weren't having jazz. They weren't interested in it because uh, it was um, like this whole dark art thing that was going on back then, like grungy, textural, Photoshop-based stuff. And I was doing the first like 3D abstract stuff, well, some of the first. 3D abstract stuff and it just wasn't their vibe and they weren't trying to expand their aesthetic to it. So I applied to both and they both rejected me. So I was like, well, fuck you, I'll start my own. Uh, and the, legit, that's, that's 100% how it happened. Like I was mad petty. I am still mad petty when it comes to a couple of little things like that. It can inspire me to some great, some great efforts. So I started Depthcore and um, we just struck a nerve, right? It was 2002. And this emerging 3D abstract thing was really catching on and it was becoming really popular. Uh, it was accessible to people who were just starting to see digital art in a way that this dark horror shit wasn't. They could see these pretty colors and pretty shapes and be like, dope, looks like the Matrix or whatever other dumb comment they wanted to make and just appreciate it. You know? So Depthcore kind of blew up in a time before social media and real aggregation and what have you was a destination sort of place. So, you know, even at its height, it wasn't that big, man. Our big chapter drops, we were getting, I don't know, 60,000, 80,000 uniques a day, um, which in 2002 times, like that, that was nothing to nothing to sneeze at, you know. Were you still in um, college? 
were you still a student at that time? Yeah, man, I was um, 18 or 19. Yeah. So I, I just finished high school. Um, wow. Yeah. So you've been interested um, in the internet for a while? Like that's, I mean, that was early. Oh, that's a great, great general question. My my early internet usage is so shameful. Are we, do we really have to go into this? I mean, <laughs> all of ours were. Man, but mine was so early. Okay, so I found a site called Chatropolis back in like 1997 on 98 even. I can't remember. It was on my dad's laptop on a, like a 14.4 modem. Um, and yeah, I, I'd go onto the site and chat and shit. And some people had like really cool handles and they were colorful and shit. And I worked out they were doing that with a thing called html oh <laughs> you could change the color of letters that's what you could do so i had set about learning that and anyway i did i don't know a bunch of dumb shit in connection with that but i did start to learn how to use photoshop a little bit and how to do some basic html shit a little bit and i realized that you could use computers to create so that was sort of the genesis of that whole thing um so yeah i've been i've been interested in the internet for a while dating back to as soon as my dad had it i just thought it was really cool like, you know, just being able to reach out and connect and talk to people around the world and what have you. And then, yes, I, through, through that experience, saw it as a play, uh, an avenue for creation, which grew more and more important as time went on. Yeah, chatropolis.com, some shameful beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> Probably go buy the handle. I thought you were going to go straight to porn because that's where I was. And, you know, <laughs> dial up, you're trying to load up a page just to see a nipple and it's taken like forever. Nah, because I was on my dad's laptop and like there wasn't privacy settings back then. So if I was going there, he was seen and I wasn't taking the risk. That's very true. I was just dumb and got caught. So <laughs> when did you get into NFTs? Because um, for us, it was only like November, October timeframe. And I know they've been around for a couple years before that, but I wondered how early you hopped in. Around the same time as you guys, to be perfectly honest. Um, I saw like my first real exposure to it was Mike was Beeple seeing him him do his things. I'd seen a couple of like little rumblings about it here and there, but I'm like by no means super OG in this particular space. So I saw Mike do his thing and I went to get in contact with um, Nifty Gateway afterwards, like everyone else on the planet. But when I did it on Instagram, Tommy from Nifty Gateway had already messaged me and I just missed the message. So I was able to write back and get in touch and schedule a drop date. Um, I was going to say you were probably part of that cold call list that just breezed over the. Uh, yeah. the yep. uh, totally missed it. Uh, <laughs> and went there. I was like, oh, but fortunately, <laughs> Tommy and the gang were cool about it. Um, I actually canceled that drop because my mum got really sick and I was going to have to go back to Australia. So my drop date was on February 18th. And um, yeah, like late December, I had to go back to Australia. And so I just messaged Tommy and I was like, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry, I'll let you know when I can. I just left it at that. And then, you know, it became pretty apparent I was going to have to do the two weeks in hotel quarantine. And my plan was actually I was going to take one of my guitars and um, just like a, a little audio input. I bought an audio input to connect it to this laptop right here um, and record some music and get some stuff going from my band, which no one's heard of or anything about, you know, that I love very much. Um, and at the last minute, I decided, no, you know what? Like, I should take my 3D gear instead. I have, um, well, I had to have an, an eGPU, a big, like, shoebox-style motherfucker that you can connect to a MacBook to mm -hmm. run a plane on. I decided to take that instead. Good decision. Yeah. I yeah. think Flood came out of that, right? The whole series came out of that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so the first five pieces I made in, in hotel quarantine. Um, and then, um, you know, for whatever listeners you have who don't know, um, my, my mum just passed a couple months ago. So I went back to Australia to see her before she died. Australia has real strict quarantine laws. So, you know, I was in a, in a hotel, locked in a hotel room, no opening windows, no doors, no peoples, no nothing, right? For two weeks. And I, I made the first five pieces of my first uh, collection in that hotel. And um, I made the last three pieces after, after she passed. Um, yeah, so we're that, sorry to hear that as well. And, you know, the emotion definitely rings true through the entire series. Thank you. Yeah, um, I think after the year we just had, there's a couple of themes in that series that are pretty easy to relate for most people, the sense of isolation and containment and uh, a sense of loss, even if you didn't lose a loved one. You know, there's still, there's still a sense of mourning for a year's worth of life and freedom that we collectively lost. So, you know, I was obviously feeling all that pretty intensely locked in that fucking room. So, yeah. I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I I I took I took a listen to your conversation with uh, Roger Dickerman and listened to you kind of break that down. I mean, that's like some you know unimaginable type of stuff, and especially being you know locked in a room that you can't leave. I mean, the the beauty of what came out of it too, and, and the timing, and uh, and I mean, not to like obviously generalize your situation, but knowing the story behind a lot of this stuff, I think is important too, right? Because you can you can find another layer of. Uh, you know, connection to art. And I think a lot of people are figuring out how to absorb art in a way. And a lot of it's finding context and, and, and knowing this stuff is important. And I mean, we obviously commend you for being open, talking about it. And it's, it's, it's beautiful stuff. No, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I've been, I've been, like we said at the top, you know, I've been creating stuff for 20 odd years now. And uh, honestly, a lot of it was just experimentation, just fun stuff that I did because I could, because I enjoyed doing it because it was fun to do because I love creating and I love sharing. And not a great deal of it was personal. And that's reflected in my entire online presence. I don't really share a lot of personal stuff. There's not a lot of photos of me out there, not a lot of anything like that. You know, it's a pixelated lion and the occasional picture of the dog, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but this series, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. And I think that it accomplishes something that NFTs have the real potential to facilitate for the digital art community, which is to give artists the ability to create fine art. I would say it's the, one of the only things that I've ever made that I would consider fine art is that series, in large part because of, you know, what went into making it. And I put, for the first time in my career, I put a lot of me into that. And then afterwards, I had to share a lot of that as well because I didn't want it to miss. I think looking at it, you probably could have gathered a lot of it, but just with three or four paragraphs, you're able to gather. It comes through a lot more purely, you know, a lot, a lot more crystal clear. Yep. And it was hard to do after 20 years of just <laughs> bullshit and fun to, to put something like that out there that, you know, I've in no way processed, by the way, that I've in no way come to terms with, that it was just as it was happening because that was the timing. It was just a confluence of events and coincidences that led to it being that. But anyway, I think that the end, the end result, like I said, is something that I'm proud of. And I think that it is fine art. And I think that some of the NFTs that we've seen and some of the collections that we've seen have been fine art and they've been valued like fine art. Um, and, you know, and, 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 then, and then that's mixed with the fact that NFT is an exciting new thing and people are interested in wanting to get involved and in buying anything that comes out. And now we're in, you know, a, an interesting market where people are starting to realize that not everything they bought necessarily was fine art or had that forethought or humanity or even necessarily creativity put into it. 
And that's fine. You know, that's what happens in a nascent market like this before people become fully educated. And by the way, I'm not saying my, my collection was the greatest be all end all or anything like that. Like, you know, that's, that, that's not my point at all. All I'm saying is that it was created from just from a human, from a human place, from a place of wanting to share something personal and make a connection, you know? Yeah. And that was in a time where, you know, you were talking, did you have like your own drop day or were you with multiple people? Because I mean, you lose that with kind of oversaturating and, and, you know, you go from three, four drops a week to three, four drops a night. And, you know, that's the type of stuff you lose. And, you know, from your end, you probably got to track the market so you can kind of, you know, make your next play tactically. And yeah, I think it's important to know this stuff. My night was actually the first three person night. It was me. Yeah. And it's crazy. When I tell you the three people, it was me, Mad Dog and Blake Catherine. Bro. I remember that. I know where it was. Yeah, yeah that no. was that was the explosion day. Yeah, it was explosion day. Yeah, holy shit. We broke yeah. the record the first time it had broken. Yeah. That's uh that, that was a couple <laughs> days in a row where everyone was telling everyone that they knew about Nifty Gateway mm-hmm. and everyone flood on there and that's when the the open edition started going wild. Yep. I couldn't yeah. uh, I think that's so funny that you three are all on the same day the first <laughs> the first multi-drop i don't think it has happened again. <laughs> no they need to spread them again. out yeah i mean one a night is even a lot i liked it when it was a couple nights a week you know and then it, yeah. it builds hype up around a you know just the one artist and they can tell their story and you can't really slide in the bullshit as well and hide it you know when you're doing four artists a night two of them can be shit and nobody will care i think what we're coming to is a place where um the creators are going to have to bring the audience to the table themselves. Yeah. So we, we had a situation there where Nifty Gateway for, you know, for a period where we're kingmakers, where if you were on the platform, then the result was guaranteed. And that was an amazing place to be. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and I don't, I don't envy them that position. That's a hard position to be in. And now they're being inundated with, like, with requests from people that you can't say no to. Like Eminem says, I want to drop and I want to drop in a month. You make the slot, right? How do you say no? Um, you know, we, we can all have our opinions on it. I'm sure they have some good business analytics, analytics going on it. But I think you, the point that you make that it takes away from the specialness of it is very accurate. Um, but I think it just creates this new market condition where Nifty Gateway doesn't bring the sales anymore. The creator is going to have to, unless they decide to go back to that mode. And, you know, that's a decision on their end to make. I don't presume to know their business. Yeah, I would imagine that they're not going to slow down just because the money's there. For them so they will be motivated another way money though yeah i think my, my personal take and this is just an idiot talking on a podcast is that if they did slow it down even to just one a day and really invested in the storytelling and the hype building and the narrative of each one of these artists that you'd have a bigger individual return on them than spreading across four but that may not be true at all uh i think it could be and i think it could especially be good for the secondary market and the ongoing health of of the space but again that's just the gateway that's just one that's one facet of a much bigger space yeah because you you put a decent amount of work i don't remember where it's not foundation it is foundation is it foundation okay yeah because you you utilize that pretty well and you do a decent amount of collabs in there and that seems like something that you know you can kind of control your narrative on is Mm -hmm. that kind of what your thinking is behind it Foundation, I just wanted to be able to drop some one-offs and just sort of test the market out and see see where I was at with a couple of things. 
Um, I haven't I haven't put anything up on there for quite a while because I'm I'm full ball working on my next nifty drop, which is just an insane amount of work. Um, and then after that, honestly, after that and a couple of collaborations I have going on at the moment, I'm gonna take three months off and go to Hawaii or something. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <clears throat> no, really though. <laughs> I think you should. That'd be great. I have to. But um, no, I, I, I'm really excited about the next drop I have. And then after that, yeah, I'll play with Foundation, play with whatever other platforms. Eternity Chain is another exciting one that's coming up. Um, and just sort of, you know, have, have a little bit more fun with it. The drop with Fuckrender, was that on Foundation as well? Yep. I love that piece. Oh, it kind of has the same uh, vibe as the Nifty Gateway drop. Just mm-hmm. added in with a little bit of fuck render as well, and the way the lighting dances around. Did you do the lighting, or did Fred do the lighting? So Fred's uh, the way that collaboration went down. Fred sent me over some assets, so I grabbed that scorpion of his, and I kind of did the rest. Okay, uh, I'm looking forward to the next one where maybe I'll send him some assets, and he can do his lighting and his his textures and what have you, and we can play with with what that series will be. But that particular one looks like my drop because it was me me doing it. Yeah, <laughs> makes well. sense. I, I love it. I was actually the first one on my new computer as well. Like I built a PC, so I'm back on Windows for the first time since like 2007. Wow. Um, just to get a real, you know, get a 3090 going and some real, some real hardware behind it. Nice, nice. Built the nifty machine. <laughs> Pretty much. If I say it, I guarantee you, like it'll look real similar to a lot of other uh, nifty setups. 100%. What's your, uh, do you have a date for your nifty drop? Yeah, yeah, it was May 4th, and they very graciously allowed me to push it back to May 27th because it's just so much work, and I don't know how to do any of it. Like, I've just been learning this whole time. Like, I'm just, like, all day, every day learning new stuff in X particles and 3D and what have you to to execute this vision I have for the next thing. You're adding in new techniques that are brand new to you. Dude, I'm adding in so much stuff. Like, it's... This next drop, I, I'll do a little bit of a teaser for it, all right? All right. I haven't, I haven't released any of this publicly yet, but it's called The Labyrinth. And okay. it is not just an art drop. So this is going to be an experience. That's so- what we like to hear. That's, I love experiences, that's for sure. And like the way people play around with the smart contracts now and like entice future collectors by you know the different me- mechanisms they can put in no, no, place. No, no, no. This is beyond that. So this, okay. is, this is this is not just get this, burn this, get that. You know, I love it. I loved it when Mad Dog did that, and I know Mike um, Slime and Blau did it, and that was the, the melt, and that was cool too. This isn't that. This is a real experience with narrative and law and objectives and rewards and the whole thing. Sounds like my anime. Oh. More on like the too much lag fuck render area. So no, that's it's different. Like so, what what Stefan what lag did with the anime was amazing. That was a really beautiful take on it. That was a really beautiful way to use that smart contract as a generator for unique art. I loved that and I thought it was genius. Um, and then you have fuck renderverse, which is an amazing way to just showcase the artwork and to do all the different ways that Fred does to reward. This experience is native and central to the entire drop. little teaser for the listeners out there. That sounds I crazy. Like, I feel like we, I, we shouldn't ask you more about it. Yeah, no more. No was, more prying. That was more. Once, once we're offline, I'll tell you the rest. But like, that's, that's it for now. Nice. 
That's Actually, exciting. Okay, I can just tell you now and don't, don't, don't put this in the podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll cut this off. Yeah, so basically what's going to happen is I have to... Damn, that's crazy. That's cool, dude. Oh, my God. I'll work out how to, how to do it and whatever, but like... That's I, so I, inventive. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm, like I, the whole idea just like landed in my head as one when I walked in my front gate after I walked the dog one night. I was like, oh, fuck, I know what I need to do. <laughs> the problem that you may have gleaned from all of this, it's a shame none of this is going on the podcast, but fuck it. It's, it's getting there. Like, I want you to watch that trailer and be like, I got to fucking do this. Yeah. <laughs> I respect the fuck out of that. That's awesome. Right? Like, I, I love the burns and that sort of shit, but there's so much more we can do in this space to have fun. For sure. And people are discovering it like yourself. Like every time someone innovates, it just pushes the whole group that wants to go that route one step further. And I think I can't imagine what we're going to be looking at six months from now. You know, Bethesda should be in on this shit. Like you can buy a character in one of their games. Like you can just like auction play be one of the uh, incredible. Like who the fuck knows? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we should we should talk about stuff that's going to be on the podcast. But the last, <laughs> yeah, the last thing is that that's really cool about this. So we're doing the labyrinth, and it's going to be a whole thing. I'm stoked on it, but yeah, I'm just I've been a little concerned by the the market lately with the fact that like I, this would have been perfect for opens, but it's not going to work for opens now. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, it, it won't work, dude. I don't think I don't think opens work anymore. Really. No, opens don't work anymore. That's, they don't. No, they like, don't. Like for anyone. Like, unless you like, you just want to have something to have something, you could price it at like, you know, you price it too low, everyone's buying it, you price it too high, and it just changed so fast, too. Anyway, let's let's talk about some nifty times. And <laughs> cut. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, where are you? Are you in Brooklyn? I'm in, in Los Angeles. You're in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah, so, oh, I, spent, I spent nearly nine years in Brooklyn. Okay. All right. Um, some aspect there. When did but, you come to the States? 2009. Were you in like a, a you were in a pretty good spot, but like professionally, right? You you built a pretty good like, you know, uh, I wouldn't not commercialized business, but you worked with some pretty high end clientele, and it was a hundred percent a commercial practice. Like I got no bones with you saying that. Like I was, I like, and that was the goal. That was a hundred percent the goal. Like when I came up and I was making all the personal digital art for Deathcore and what have you, like that was all great. But there was zero path whatsoever to being a fine artist as a digital artist. Yeah um like it was a hundred percent my intention and goal to become a commercial artist and be able to practice in collaboration with clients and that sort of stuff so that was definitely what i was going for um and yeah by the time i moved to america i was already doing okay um i'd had a couple of big clients and i got my still biggest client actually right before i moved out here which was verizon i did a whole year's worth of illustration for verizon's by myself through uh, mccann erickson which is crazy. Like one illustrator does not do a whole year's worth of illustrations for a company like that. It was not. Yeah. So I did that when I first moved out. Uh, and that was nuts. And that set me up for just, yeah, a fun, fun beginning to my America chapter. So we hear from uh, some of the other artists that we've talked to mixed feelings about client work altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously an artist would rather just create their own vision rather than trying to execute someone else's vision. But it seems like once you establish yourself as like a big player in the game, they, kind of respect your vision more. Did you find that to be the case where like you can just, you would create things that they would be like, yeah, that's good. Or do you always get notes back? There's no always to it, right? Like every job is different. And ideally you get to a place and I was fortunate enough to get to a place where I was known enough for what I was doing and good enough at what I was doing that people were coming to me for what I would do. 
So I was being asked to make my work uh, and apply it to their brand and to, to, to you know, their, whatever their needs were. Um, but no, there's still notes. There's still, we like this color more or we wish that the arm was over here or, you know, this, that, the other. And that's cool. That's like that, that part of collaboration is always part of working with, you know, an, an, an external, uh, you know, creator like myself. So, you know, no bones there. Um, I've always loved client work. I've loved working with other companies. Um, and certainly some jobs are easier than others. Some are better than others. You know, there's dream jobs where they really do give you your head and whatever you turn in, they're like, that's amazing. Thank you. And you're like, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am amazing. Thank you. I thought so. Uh, you know, and then there's some that are more difficult where you just aren't quite on the same page. And that's just, you know, part of the, it comes with the territory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was going to ask you on about facets and where I guess that inspiration might have came from. Um, yeah, was it like a just another one of those snap decisions? Like I got like this is something I got to do. Kind of like how labs. So, so facets was uh, for those who don't know was a year long project I did. I made a piece every day for three hundred sixty five days. This is back in uh, twenty thirteen, um, where it wasn't necessarily such a common practice. Like every man and his dog has an every day's project now, but back then, like uh, people was doing his. My friend Karan Singh had done one. He did kind of a cheaty one, though. He only did weekdays. Ah, uh, <laughs> took the weekends off, I see. <laughs> weekends off, yeah. But no, he's still... Work, work Workdays, business week. He also did beautiful, beautiful work. Um, so, you know, I can't fault him on it. Anyway, what happened for me was I was making, I was making my stuff. I was making digital art. Um, and I got to this point where I started to feel like it was only going to be good if I put more time and more effort into it. And so I was spending like three weeks on these pieces and they just looked like shit. They just looked terrible. They were overworked and pretentious and just stuffed with bullshit. And it just was no fun to make and no fun to look at. I feel like when you look at work that was fun to make, you can tell. Like when you look at Mike Slime's work, right? Like you can tell he has fun making that shit. Yeah. Same, same, same with people, same with Blake Catherine. Um, you know, same with uh, Jason E. Bay. You look at their work, you're like, damn, it looks like they had a really good time making that. Um, and if you looked at this, you're like, I feel awful looking at this. <laughs> I don't want to look at it. And I don't think I want to look at anything else. I'm going to have a shower and fuck this guy. And that's how it felt making it as well. So basically, long story short, I, just, I closed Photoshop and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have some fun. So I fired up my old 3D software. The reason, no, like, <laughs> for years and years, people have tried to replicate that old 3D style of mine, the really geometric style, and no one can fucking do it. And the reason for that is that I was rendering in Bryce 3D. Surprise, motherfuckers! <laughs> <laughs> that old 3D software from, uh, you know, that used to make landscapes in back in 2002 or whatever, right? So I used that as my, as my render engine because it did a really beautiful... Um, Ray tracing is just gorgeous and it was slow as fuck. That's what I had, right? So I fired that up and just rendered some geometric bullshit. It was pretty and it made me feel pretty. And I liked looking at it and I was like, it's shiny and it's good and it's done and I don't need to do anything more to it. It's just some nice lines and colors and a glass texture. So I fucking love glass textures. And, and it's done and I just shared it and it felt real good. So I did it again the next day and the next day. And, you know, uh, pretty soon I'd done it for a week, just every day, just new colors and mainly squares and cubes and shit, whatever, new colors and whatever. Like, I might do this for a month. And, um, <laughs> and I was trying to, like, you know, do it for a year. I'm like, All right, fuck it, I'll do it for a year. 
And I did. So I just did it for a year. And, you know, when you do the same thing, well, sorry, when you, when you give yourself time to sit down and practice every single day for the course of a year where that becomes just your lifestyle, right? It just becomes something that you do in the same way that you have breakfast and clean your teeth and whatever, and you're going to sit down and make your peace. You're going to go to some interesting places with it, right? You're going to develop some, some muscles and some new areas and some skills. Um, you're going to become adept at some shit you weren't adept at. And for me, the, the, the ultimate end result of that was that it started off as, you know, a fun Bryce glass texture thing. But it ended up with me developing this new, like, signature geometric 2D style that um, really relaunched a new phase of my career. Because, you know, that shit that was making me depressed, clients weren't mad interested in that, if I'm being perfectly honest. So, you know, my professional career was really suffering. But by the end, I was having a great deal of fun making anything I wanted to make in this geometric style. And it translated virtually directly to um, really great client work. Like the most, the, the funnest period I ever had with client work was from 2014 to 2017. Oh. So did you just, was that pretty much what you solely dedicated to? Did you have some other stuff that you were managing? I was still taking freelance work whilst I was um, doing facets because facets wasn't making me any money at the time. I was selling some prints here and there, certainly not enough to live on. So I was taking some client work that was coming in, but client work was slow at the time as, as a direct byproduct of what I was saying, this like overwrought, overthought, painful period I'd just gone through uh, making bad work that wasn't commercially viable or, or as I said, fun to look at. Um, but I put that series out there and it gained some good traction and like it wasn't too long before that started to translate into a, a funner period. But during, while I was making facets proper, um, I had most of my time to put into the project. Sadly, like, I didn't want to, I wanted to be making some money because <laughs> living in New York, which is expensive. Well, it sounds like it broke you out of the loop and, you know, got you to focus on not overworking it and just okay. kind of saying, I'm done. It's the end of the day. I'm done with this piece and let's let it fly. It was really healthy. Yeah, that's a healthy mindset to be able to step into from time to time. So are you collecting anyone right now or just on the creation side? Or are you looking at, you know, collecting any NFTs? So I've collected quite a few. Um, I think I have somewhere like 17 on Nifty Gateway. And I think I have 10 or 12 just in my Ethereum wallet that I've collected on Foundation and uh, Rarible. I haven't been collecting as much lately because I have just been immersed well, we can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have a pass there. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it, it's, it's a couple of things, right? Like, I have just been creating nonstop um, and learning. So I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm not on social media. You can see that my post volume has dwindled massively. It's mainly just me amplifying friends of mine and the stuff they're doing, whilst I just really, really commit myself to creating this experience that I'm not all that qualified to create. Uh, and I also got married two weeks ago. Oh, oh congrats. Thanks. Yeah. So this is your so, period, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I'm spending it learning X particles. Um, <laughs> romantic period for Jenny and I both. Nice. Gotta get uh, to Hawaii, man. Yeah, no, we will. <laughs> uh, after, after May 27th, after the labyrinth, uh, probably after it concludes, it'll be, time, it'll be time to go and get some R&R and uh, be on a beach somewhere. Yeah, sorry, a little, I think... You got a little Bill Ellis stack in there. I was looking through your Nifty collection. Yeah, yeah. So Billy put his drop out and I entered every drawer and I got very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> were eight pieces and I won six of them. Yeah. Uh, so you're welcome, Bill. I'll be, I'll be coming up for some steak dinners once quarantine's over. Yeah. 
but I love Bill. I love his work. I love that collection. That was another one that was very thoughtful um, and well executed. And uh, the thing that Bill does, apart from making beautiful artwork, like let's just take that as a given, is Bill is um, next level when it comes to the presentation and marketing of his work and the way that he put, puts it out for people to consume and to see beforehand. It's just such an elevation. Um, and I really appreciate it. I think it's the kind of thing that's really necessary um, if we're looking at NFTs as that vehicle to elevate digital art into the fine art space, I think that there's an element of presentation um, and self-investment that you're putting into the work, into that presentation that's vital to convey that worth, right? You can't just like do eight Instagram posts and be like, give me a million, please. Yeah. yeah. His teaser videos are amazing. You are right. I, yeah. yeah. So did you, were you under the group that got that physical? Didn't he make a book? In memoriam or something like that he's got some, he's got something brewing yeah. so i think i need i think i need to buy the two that i don't have and then i'll get physical but yeah. bill's also a good mate of mine so i might be able to put the squeeze on him but he's also a man of principle so maybe not <laughs> well, we're talking but, with him soon actually yeah he's we, uh, uh the next guest up i think you'll have a really good time with that bill's bill's a real treat he and i uh, um we're, we're on a discord server together with a few other artists um a few other really really wonderful artists and uh He's just a pleasure of a human being. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say we can probably broker a deal for you if you want us to middleman it and be hands off. Uh, I, I got that. The door. <laughs> he and I talk basically every day. So I reckon I, reckon I got that one. If, if he's going to do it, he'll do it for me. I mean, shit, shit. You know what? Yeah. Get involved. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be on the top rope. Like, you didn't see it. Like, a team coming. Like, oh, shit. What? Do it. Do it. Like, they'll reach out, like, hey, man, do you need these two? <laughs> <laughs> or do you need a book? Yeah. Uh, Trade him a bottle of scotch. He'll be fine. Yeah. That's true. Uh, that's a nice whiskey I could give him. Um, I, I, I got to get into uh, what's the Discord you guys run? Oh, no, it's just it's just like a mad tiny one. There's like twenty of us. It's um, you know, just 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 some of the some artists and stuff. It's not a joinable one, if that makes sense. Okay, cool. Yeah, nice. yeah. I, it's um, just like a co working space that they set up um, and invited me to. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that sense of community. I mean, I feel like it's growing, and I'm assuming one of those guys that uh, can appreciate the you know people trying to break in now, right? And in you know having some sort of uplifting ability, you know, way to give back and. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where the backbone of the space is and, and, and we'll stay with, with guys like you and, you know, everyone that's kind of tight-knit in there. So, you know, I said it at the beginning that I feel like what's been happening in, in this NFT space reminds me a lot of what happened in the beginning of the digital art space, where there was a new technology that emerged back then that was like internet and sites like DeviantArt to create that sense of community. And now it's NFT to create the sense of ownership. Mm -hmm. Um, so a new technology that's introduced to a medium that creates like a new energy around it. So it's been really cool to feel that the last couple of months. Do you think that there are people just coming in blind that like don't know anything, but feel like they just need to be in and know, like don't know what they're doing? Of course they do. But that's not a bad thing. Of course they are. There's people out there who have been making digital art for a long time where it's been their life and their bread and butter. And now all of a sudden this NFT thing is coming swinging off, you know, talk about swinging off the top rope. Like this took a lot of people by surprise. Yeah. If they were like working like their day-to-day -day job at a, you know, at a studio or whatever, and they're not on socials so much. And yeah. then all of a sudden these stories are circulating. And yeah, they're just like coming in blind, throwing elbows. Like what, 
eighth, eighth please. I don't know. Give it to me. And they're not to be condemned for that. Like it's, it's, it's an impossible thing to watch a medium that you've been participating in for a decade or more elevate like that and not feel like you should be part of it. Yeah. And I, I guess I was more so coming from like the, um, I guess you could call them collectors, um, mm-hmm. you know, where people probably just come in. Like I need to put my money in here somewhere um, and oh, exactly. be involved. I mean, from the artist perspective, it's tough because now it's more than ever, um, I mean, from the past six months, you're kind of promoting yourself, right? And instead of having one drop in a, in a few days where, you know, a site like Nifty is pushing it, you're on your own and that can be tough, but it, it takes like guys, you know, in this little community that we're kind of early relatively to push it. And it's good to see it happening. It's been interesting watching uh, some of these collectors become tastemakers within the scene as well. I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, you know, the, this this whole thing only works as a symbiosis between creators and collectors. So it's like, it's been interesting to see just how big of a voice collectors have been able to have. That line of communication, like, like uh, I think that's invaluable as a collector, as someone that, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, and having backstory and being able to be like, yo, I'm pumped I have your piece. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's an amazing experience as an artist and something a lot of us have never been able to appreciate before is that direct relationship to it, like a collector and a supporter of your art in that way. Um, you know, a lot of us made like whatever money we made to live on by working with a client. The client says, thank you for the check. You know what I mean? Like then like maybe that like, you know, that was a great experience. They hire again, you again and whatever, but it's just way less personal. I actually had a thought the other day that this medium actually allows more like regular people to just buy into art whereas the fine art world was really closed off if you didn't have millions of dollars to spend and i'm wondering if how that's going to change the landscape and culture around art in general like with more people appreciating art obviously art's been around forever and you see it and you know it when you see it most people do but now they get to participate in a way that i feel like they weren't able to participate before you think that's going to have an effect long term of course of course, because I mean, what, what I just said has always been true about like art from a fine art perspective and that what collectors are interested in to an extent shapes the landscape of what is being made. That's only to an extent, right? But if you're making stuff that you may think is genius, like, if no one had ever thought that like Marcel Duchamp was a genius for like signing a toilet, right? If there wasn't, if there weren't collectors or anyone else out, out there to see that and say, that's genius, I'm gonna pay for that. And that includes galleries who are also like, you know, a stamp on the validity of that as artwork, then it would have been a signed toilet. Right. <laughs> and Dada wouldn't have taken off. Yeah. And, and now it's just that the everyman has an opportunity to participate in a way that they didn't have before. And that's an amazing thing. Yeah. I was just curious, and this is t- kind of totally off topic and probably more relevant if Mike was here, but do you remember when you were introduced to his page uh, or at what point when you might've came across his Instagram or something or, and got familiar with his work? Yeah, sure. I think it was like 2016 or so. Yeah. yeah. I think I think we just, we followed each other around that point. I was like, oh, this is cool. I like it. And we just like left, you know, comments back and forth. <laughs> That's what it seemed to be. Right? Instagram, right? Yeah, just Instagram. And that was another democratization of art, right? That was another way in which like just the everyday person was able to go and appreciate art and see art and in a way give it value with a social currency instead of a financial currency, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. of what was being made and the directions people move in because it's ignorant to think that artists don't create in response to what 
gets them whatever form of recognition, currency, whatever it is that they can, you know, sustain themselves with. Because it's necessary. It'd be nice if we could all just create in a vacuum and sustain ourselves, but that's not the way the world works, right? Yeah. And and I think now that we're stepping out of the Instagram realm, there's mm-hmm. not that extra added layer of their algorithm kind of mm-hmm. tuning what everyone likes. And now it's like, you know, we're, we're using a different algorithm. I mean, it's whatever you like, plus there's a, a price factor in it somewhere for most collectors. So I just like seeing that change as well, moving away from the algorithms. True. But there's still gatekeeping involved in all of this, you know, in terms of what's going to be surfaced or not, it's just being decided by individuals instead of robots. That's very true. Decided in a really nifty gateway. Well, there is, yeah, there's a gate right in the name. I didn't think about that. (laughs) There are places out there that, you know, don't have the gatekeeping aspect, but it is harder to get discovered on those platforms for sure. You need a social media following for that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And social media uh, effectiveness is governed by? People and robots. Yep. (laughs) I think that's just everything now. You know, it's inescapable. But, I mean, you you want some of that to an extent. When you go to browse as a consumer, as a collector, you still want to see good stuff that's attuned to your tastes. Best way to do that is algorithms. It's It's the privacy convenience uh, trade-off. Yeah. But my, my strong preference is just to, to, to like build my own follow list, right? And then see everything they post chronologically. Yeah. Like to me, that is the internet at its best. When that was, I used to complete my Instagram feed every day. Yeah. I would go to where I last saw it. I would consume every single thing that I saw along the way and I was done. And I could come back and revisit it, right? This Not new, anymore. No. And what we have now is awful. And it's unfair. It's totally it's bastardized from what it used to be. Well, it's unfair to consumers and it's unfair to creators as well because now you can be doing exactly what you were doing and still not be able to reach an audience that you've spent a lot of time building. Right. If you follow a couple of brands as well as people, like regular people, mm-hmm. the brands are going to drown you out half the time. Just Every time. Yeah. yeah. Now this is, I guess, a completely different direction, but with I kind of think I know where you're going with this a little bit, but do you think like nfts as like a an asset are going to be kind of universalized to where they're you're using an nft as like a ticket you're using like an nft as like a as like a uh, i don't know um a menu or something uh or like a do you see them kind of engulfing everyday life for everyone or a lot of people are just going to casually know what they are i think it's in between those two things right where, where i would say that like collecting things digitally is going to become totally normalized where like you know, the example I always use is if you go to say like, you know, a, a Clippers game or something, you get a memento that can be stored in your like phone's NFT wallet trophy case for that game. And like, maybe it's just the two team logos that spin around each other or something like that. Like a ticket stub. Yeah, maybe you get a stub too, exactly, yeah. But just like as a memento, as a collectible. And maybe you can use it as the ticket itself, as a utility, but the point is still going to be the collectible aspect of it. That is really where I see NFTs fulfilling that purpose. And then if you go to all 41 games or you just collect or trade or do whatever to get all 41 from that season, you get that special one, right? Yeah, we're going to cut this part too. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it, build this shit. I don't care. Well, that uh, makes sense. Well, think about it. Like, if the Clippers win win a championship and and someone went to every home game and they have you know an NFT up saying that they were at every game for their championship season, maybe that has value to someone. But of course, it does because there was money involved in purchasing the tickets and going and attending, and there's like actual literal historical value to that thing. 
and you could go and you could earn it. And then you can go sell it and do whatever you want with it. It's your version of a championship ring for being a good supporter of the team, right? That's awesome. That's where that's where NFTs are going. And the, but they'll also go to even smaller places than that. Like, you know, um, you guys ever had an Apple Watch where you get the achievement on the day for completing your workout seven days in a row or some shit? I've heard that, yep. Right. So those achievements are just going to become NFTs. It's going to be way more ubiquitous that like things that happen in your life are stored in your phone's NFT wallet trophy case. And you'll prioritize the ones that you really love and they'll be browsable on the internet. It'll just be like a, an interconnected metaverse of shit like that. And sure, they'll have that utility you were talking about where you can get into the Kings of Leon show with your Kings of Leon NFT. But the point is more that you were there and you bought the ticket and whatever, right? Like, um, and that's that's the thing that's tradable. And the same way people used to trade Nirvana bootlegs, right? You'll be able to trade the NFT you got at the Nashville Kings of Leon show for, uh, you know, I don't know, the Royal Blood Glasgow show or something like that. And it'll be worth more over there than it was here. Who, who the fuck knows? That'd be sick to have a live recording of whatever concert in whatever city that just comes with the ticket or whatever. Yeah. It's just right there in your trophy case. And it's just downloadable from the cloud. Fucking amazing. And you could trade it for someone else's thing. The patent office said they're going to start putting patents into NFTs. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's where I see this sort of stuff going, where we're in this incredibly nascent period right now, where for some unfathomable fucking reason, digital art is the first thing that took off. I've been doing this shit my whole life, okay? Digital art is never the thing that was worth the most or became the priority fucking ever, okay? But, like, I, I really like 2021, yeah? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. We've become fine art for a hot second. But, like, how long is this going to be the meta of, of NFT? This is the beginning meta. This is the very first thing where most of it is art forms. And when, whenever anyone is coming to the NFT world, they're working with fine digital artists. Look at Paris Hilton with Blake, um, ASAP Rocky, I think is dropping tonight with, I think he's got a mad dog piece in there. Even when Dead Mouse, who's not the same as, you know, Dead Mouse is a creator in the space, but he came and did uh, with OG Slick and what have you. I have a disclosure uh, collaboration going live tomorrow. Yes. Yep. That's, yeah. that's this meta of NFTs, right? Where it is all so closely tied to digital art. And I'm loving it, it's great. I'm a digital artist. This is, you know, these are the glory days for me, but digital art will become more ubiquitous over time with all of the use cases that we just suggested. And it will still apply to fine art. And I think the fine art will be worth just as much as it is now, if not more. It'll just become a situation where it's less, I don't know if I, did I already say ubiquitous? Fuck it, I'm saying it again. Less ubiquitous and more just an aspect, right? Just one thing that you can do with NFTs and one way to, to collect and do whatever. And I still think that if you got a Victor Mascara piece or a Fuck Render piece or an Aphoria piece or whatever now in these very early times, because we're looking at these mint numbers we're like, oh, there's 700 of them. That's quite a lot. It's not going to be. It's not <laughs> fucking going to be. Let me promise you, okay, when you're talking about Taylor Swift's 4 millionth NFT for, like, I Cried Again, her 15th studio album, all right, <laughs> and how many of them are in circulation, it'll still have some worth, okay, that you can go and trade for, I don't want it to mean anyone, but, like, you know, like, whatever, then that, that one of 700 Aphoria piece is going to look like a real fucking bargain for what you paid for it. And we're going through the first bear market now and everyone's seeing NFTs for a blip. You, you are the same fucking idiot who would have sold drugs.com for like 300 bucks back in 2000 because the dot-com bubble ended and the websites aren't going to be a batshit. Fuck you, you don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think you're right. I mean, it's only going to go up from here. I mean, maybe we slump for a little while longer, but this is here to stay. Yeah. Yeah. And I might be wrong about the art stuff. Like maybe this was an aberration, but the NFT thing is not like that. Like digital collectibles are just an obvious step that we took in a really loud way. Do you think more and more people are going to live in virtual reality worlds and kind of spend, you know, a percentage of their time there in a metaverse? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily going to be a massive departure from what we have now or what we had 20 years ago. Like I was nine years old glued to my fucking NES, right? Yeah. You're just like playing fucking Grand Theft Auto for six hours. Like it's well, it, was, it was a Nintendo, so it didn't have it was literally an our generations are, are well let's so talk cool. about Grand Theft Auto. I played that, you know, for however long, you know, and yeah, I'd be buried in that. I wasn't in the real world. It didn't matter that it wasn't a metaverse. Yeah and buy real estate to it's the same shit and it'll be the same shit people will go spend time there with stuff that they've accrued and collected across it'll be platform agnostic which is nice right. right create this metaverse it doesn't matter if you played the game on a playstation or on an xbox your achievements are there with you nft in the metaverse and as well as all the artwork that you bought and the sneaker shit that you did and the games that you went to and the whatever yeah so it's 10 times more sticky than a video game that you can just walk away from like this is right. going to be in people's lives we're beyond early days on this shit yeah right so you have did you say your piece with disclosure drops tomorrow yeah nice was that your first uh like audio kind of crossover um Mm -hmm. and i guess how'd you what's your impression of the uh the back and forth the experience there man guy is just been one of the nicest most sincere human beings i've come across Nice. Um, so after my drop, I was just checking Instagram DMs one day and I had disclosure in the DMs. I was like, oh, wow, look at that. I love disclosure. <laughs> uh, and I pulled it up and he was talking about his, his nifty drop. Um, their, so their nifty drop, I suppose, uh, coming up tomorrow. And, you know, would, would, would I like to collaborate? Hell yeah, I would. that sounds amazing. Um, and we just had this wonderful, super organic process where I like sent over, um, you know, the first thing that I made. You can see the piece. It's like a sort of like desert vibes piece. So the first thing I sent over was just a locked camera on the face in the desert. And the main thing that happened was just that the, the flowers came out and swayed gently. And mainly what you watched was actually the sun on the dunes. It set so the shadows grew longer and then it rose again, the shadows. And it was a very gentle sort of piece like that. Um, you know, and guys like... It's fucking... It's no, I, I'm going to check it out right after this. I, I like the slow moving pieces though, because that's made for a wall. Right. I think that's eye-catching when it's like very gradual, mm-hmm. you know, it can really trip people out. And I think I've mentioned that before. So sorry to the listeners out there, but I just love that. If something's going all crazy, like I don't know if it's best on the wall, but like very uh, subtle movement, I think is perfect. So this ended up being a little bit more dynamic than that, just because it is associated with the music track. So that it needs to have a little bit of dynamisms to be able to react to them or have the music react to that, which is what happened. I sent the artwork over and Guy made a piece of music in response to it. And when you listen to the track, it is really beautiful. Like it's a, there's a beautiful association with the art. You can see that, that he was really responding to it, which I thought was amazing. It wasn't just taking something from the archive and slapping it on top, right? It was actually like an, an artistic collaboration between two people who were like vibing off each other. Because he sent me that and I was like, oh, okay. And then I went somewhere else with the artwork and added some movement to the camera and some extra stuff in the scene to be able to, you know, react to the music. 
So it was an amazing experience. Like that was, it was a true collaboration uh, with a very, very talented uh, guy. Um, I'm, I'm really stoked on it. Hell yeah. We got Slime Sunday on here too. There he is. The corpse of Slime Sunday. Yeah, mate. Yo, what's good? How was your Playboy call? Oh man, it's been nonstop. Um, like continuous for since August. I don't think I've slept more than like four hours a night. So, dude, you gotta get your beauty rest. I know, dude. It's just, I'm a mess right now, man. I just like just got off this call. I was trying to speed it up so I could get here. Um, stoked to finally meet you, like face to face. I know we've had some chats. We've had some chats via like DMs um, on Instagram and stuff. No, this is a big step for us. I'm very happy with this. I know, dude. It's crazy. So did you get, did you get the details of your shoot worked out? You know how they're going to light you and frame you for the next edition? Or? Oh, dude, I, the, the, the funny thing is, is uh, Playboy is like completely done with magazines at this point. Oh. Yeah. So they, they do like articles um, online and stuff, but I think they stopped the magazine back in 2020, uh, spring of 2020. So. Oh, you know, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of sad, man. Yeah. Um, the word centerfold means nothing now. I know. That's why we got to look through the old magazines and find the good ones. Totally coincidentally. I watched People versus Larry Flint last night. Oh, really? How was it? Have you seen, you never seen it? Oh. Dude, that movie is fucking excellent. Really? Like, I it's not going to good podcast material, but whatever. It is really, really fucking good. Like, it's one of Woody Harrelson's best performances. And Courtney Love is in it. And Courtney was fucking amazing. Like, I have no idea how she didn't act after this. It's a really fucking good movie. Yeah. Ed Norton's in it. I'll have to give that a watch. Yeah, it's on um, HBO Max. If you have that shit, you can just watch it. When did it come out? Like, recently? Yeah, 1996. Not uh, not <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so um, what do you, what did I miss? All sorts of good stuff, man. Yeah. He's been a little of everything. Um, we were just talking about his, uh, disclosure draw or his, his collab with disclosure though, which you obviously have from what I know of your obviously working relationship with Blau. It sounds like he had a pretty, uh, similar experience working on, you know, with a music group or, you know, yeah, working with sure. the, the other side of it. So that's awesome, dude. Like I'm such a big fan of disclosure. Um, yeah. actually got to connect with those dudes kind of at the beginning, maybe like, actually like two months ago um i had a chat with them told them about sevens um but yeah dude that's awesome that you're getting a chance to work with them yeah i mean they just seem like really genuine dudes and they have a really genuine interest in this space as well where they've come into it with a desire to understand it and not just like profit from it like i i believe like they're yeah they're, they're coming in in a very authentic way and it's translating with the work they made yeah absolutely and the the, the art they made with griff and with jordan is just outstanding stuff yeah it's it's like you know you, every now and then you see a collab and you're like oh, i don't really feel like there was a lot of heart put into this and the, i feel like the, the work that was put into it both visually and uh audio wise it's a, it's, it's a good drop that griff piece is just insane yeah i didn't see it till after i'd finished mine and i was like oh. <laughs> <laughs> dude no it's gonna be great man like that's just like a really solid drop uh, yeah, I, I like what I made, but like he made like a little miniature music video for them. And like, a, sorry, a little miniature, incredible music video oh, for really? them. Uh, I guess I should have done nothing else for three weeks. And yeah, his piece is nuts. Is, um, have you guys like released any teasers of it or anything? It's all out. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it, all out. 
The drop. I haven't seen any of this yet. I'm looking at it right now. I'll text it to you right now, Mike. The yeah, drop tomorrow. So we, we, we so we yeah, no, dude, I feel you. And there is so much to try to keep up with these days. Like it's it's exhausting. There's so much fatigue. And I think I I like checked the Nifty Gateway drop schedule like an hour ago or so, just because I was curious. And Eminem's dropping on Sunday. Like what? Yeah, of course. <laughs> we were we were talking earlier too about his first drop in February when it was him, Mad Dog, and Blake Hathor on the same night. First yeah. for you. Yeah, wild. Totally normal now, dude. This is sick. Thank you. I wish your name was on the disclosure drop. I wasn't yeah. even aware that you were collabing with them. Yeah, I mean that, and not so much for me as like for Jordan and Griff who haven't had nifty drops. Like that's it would have been a big draw. I'm. Not, I mean, you're a I, name, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. Look, whatever. I, mean, I, yeah, I love the piece. Like, I was just, I was just looking at it for like. Just kept staring at it. Um, well, that was my that was my goal for that piece was to make something that you could just look at and be like, oh. yeah, oh, just like exactly. little, little thrills, but over a prolonged period while it loops. That's what I've been thinking about too. Is like, you know, like if people are going to display these at some point on their frames, like yeah. you want to make sure that the artwork or the finished piece is something that can be looked at for like a long period of time. For um, sure, yeah, and I think I think that it really depends on what your intent is with that. Like, are you making fine art? stuff that you want people to hang on whatever you know fine art digital displays that we get for this in which case yeah totally you don't want this thing that's spinning around and flashing lights that you want yeah, it to be exactly. experience yeah totally and i feel like you know just sort of like to further in a conversation we we're having earlier about the adoption of nfts is like that's one thing that is not hasn't quite been solved yet is the ability to have this displayed in your home you know there's the the physical ownership aspect of it that people are solving for with prints and books and stuff which is all well and good but the more native application is a digital display but what's missing from that is the um the flex ownership right of i own the token for this piece of artwork but that's coming right where there'll be a frame on the wall or whatever and in the corner will be just a little symbol that you know that you associate with an nft right with that token and you know that exactly. displayed on here is actually hardwired to a wallet, right? And that this is this is the real and authentic uh, piece. Exactly. So when those kind of souls start to come along, that is when this is all going like going to just like penetrate even more deeply. Because you're still hearing people say like, "I can't get my head around there." Isn't that thing? Yeah, I know, dude. I hear it all the time. All the time. I mean, like on a daily basis, somebody will always like just be like, "So, what's the point?" You know? I can just screenshot uh, it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But no, dude, I think it is valuable because like when else have you had uh, technology in place that can actually verify digital art? I mean, I think that's something that's been missing for for decades um, Absolutely. Just to be able to verify it and just be like, yeah, this came from me. And no matter where it ends up on the Internet, it still shows, you know, that I'm the, like the original creator and whoever ends up owning it, it always shows that they're the holder of the piece. So. I mean, that's something that's been missing from digital art since its existence. So that's Absolutely. definitely what drew me, drew me to it, you know, from the beginning when I first started learning about it, which is like this whole proof of ownership um, concept. And that might even be something that you'll be able to bake into the image itself if you want to, is this concept, like what we're essentially riffing on is the concept of a chop, right? 
like they used to have that on pieces of artwork where there was a stamp that you would put on there that was you know, the like it was an authenticating stamp essentially like provenance yeah so maybe like there, there could be something there with that as well it's hard to say i mean the closest thing we've had to this authenticating stamp is the verification on social media networks where like if you po- if you post a piece on yours mike but people are going to be like okay he made that because he's not going to risk damaging his own name by put by putting some artwork he didn't make right exactly. it's the closest thing to a verified source but that doesn't translate to what you were saying about it being seen elsewhere on the internet not by a fucking long shot yeah exactly i mean it would be amazing if at some point like you know like all art being uploaded on the blockchain like wherever it ends up in the in the internet there's always just like that stamp on there that says where it came from originally it'd be amazing if you could bake the nft into the actual like metadata of yeah, exactly yeah that would be like game changing mm-hmm. i don't see any reason why that couldn't happen in time like it would just be a protocol that it would need to be developed like you can already see the the machine that it was developed on the software that was used to edit it why couldn't there be a creator verified on a blockchain that can't be removed from the file yeah, hopefully if somebody's listening to this right now, they're going to start developing that. Yeah, can you build that shit, please? You'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how about step one with an actual frame first? Yeah, and fix, like, figure out the aspect ratio thing, like where the frame could move to adjust to the size of the, yeah. the, oh. the art. Yeah. Or we just going to start making our art like specific to like a frame size. Like if there was just one frame size that was, you know, that we all had to kind of conform to, like obviously... On Instagram, it's a four by five and a square. Those are the two the two frame sizes. Um, but if we just had like one size for NFT art, you know, like that would kind of make sense, or like three sizes that you could conform to. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Like, yeah. na- na- like in terms of digital art, there's always been a native like constraint that that art has been made to, so it can be consumed best. Yeah. And in the early days, that was four four by three for um, you know old old school desktop wallpapers. Then it became sixteen by nine. Then with Instagram four by four, and then as we got smarter with Instagram four by five, right? So it's always just what's native to the matter of consumption. Exactly. Yeah. And if we start to like especially focused on the fine art aspect of the NFT world, if someone does make one of these frames that becomes a standard. I would wager they would make it as a four by five to tie in most closely with what performs best on social media. And then you have a standard to operate against. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, man. So what's, is, is this, dis- are you doing anything after this disclosure drop? Did you guys already talk about all this shit? Oh boy. Yeah. Does he? Yeah. Yeah. Some- oh man. I feel bad. This is why I hate coming into shit late because it's like, I'm so out of the loop. No, no. Well, no. The thing is we can, we'll take this out too, but no one's going to know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. His shit that he's doing is is for the end of May, and he can probably tell you more about it, but it's fucking wild. It's going to be wild. And then there's a whole bunch of other shit that's going to happen. That, um, Fuck, okay. dude. Everybody's doing all this creative shit with their drops. I'm just, like, throwing shit out there. Like, here, buy this. <laughs> no, you say that, but you got you also did the, that melt, which was, you know... Oh, but Mad Dog, Mad Dog. We got to give Mad Dog credit because... Yeah. He, he originally thought of that. But yeah, dude, this is this is fucking smart. I need to think about something like this. It's uh it's a lot of work. This is fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do it again. We'll do it again closer to the labyrinth where I can actually talk about everything. Yeah, yeah dude, we'll have to. Good. Yeah, that's and I won't be like have so much shit going on. No, it's what dude. I, I, I more than understand. Like these calls are what they are, there's no problem. But we really did cover a lot of shit in an hour beforehand. 
Yeah, I yeah. That, that no, I was gonna say I, I appreciate you being so generous with your time. I'm glad that this is fun. I love this shit. This is great. Yeah, I mean that's why we that's why we do it. It's just to talk to people. Yeah, <laughs> pick their brain, figure out what's going on. And that's this cool. kid who's just like doesn't is just running on empty completely. Dude, I don't know where he is. News. <laughs> I started in August. Yeah, and I haven't stopped making NFT drops since August. <laughs> <laughs> like, not had one day off. And it's yeah. just, I, I, I'm almost done with this Playboy drop. After this is over, I'm taking like two months off and I'm not doing jack shit. I just said the same thing after the Labyrinth and a couple other collaborations I have on at the moment. Done. done. Yeah, we're going to go to Hawaii for as long as Jenny can get away from work for. And Amazing. I'll take it easy for a second. Yeah. But yeah, there's no, look, I, I got my second COVID shot on Saturday. You know, I had like the fever and chills and shit. I was working on Sunday. Damn. <laughs> you have to. You do, dude. Can't stop. What version of the COVID shot did you get? Moderna. Moderna. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one. I heard that one. The second dose like really fucks you up. But it wasn't too bad. I like, I, I woke up about, I got my shot at 1230 in the afternoon. I woke up at one in the morning. I had like some chills. Nothing too bad. I was just chilly, but I could feel my skin was warm. Yeah. Um, and I had a light fever. I have, um, I have an aura ring. It like measures my sleep and everything. And it also measures your temperature while you sleep. And I was up one degree Celsius. So like 2.2 Fahrenheit. So a, a mild fever, you know? Yeah. Um, and I took a couple Tylenol and it broke and the chills went away. And I just woke up in the morning pretty stiff from a bad night's sleep with a headache. Um, so I just laid around and took a bath, took a couple more Advil and some vitamin B. And then the, by that night I was working. A buddy of mine came over and we had a couple of beers. That was fine. Hell yeah. All right. Good to know. But nothing to worry about. I'm nervous about getting this. This. No, uh, I, don't be. Don't. I got mine tomorrow. Oh, you told you. My mom. <laughs> she, she was like down my back. Are you going? She's like, all right. Book Are you yeah, she, she got the, um, the Pfizer shot and had nothing at all. But yeah, she, I, heard, she, I heard Pfizer. Everyone's been fine. So that's what my wife got. Jenny's also superhuman, man. Like she works out every day and, you know, the tumor yeah. and the oats and the, all this sort of shit. So like, you know, if you're that level of health, I don't think anything can do anything to you. <laughs> yeah. And she's 29. So she's like a mortal. Like I'm 37. So yeah, I'm like the spitting, spitting image of not healthy right now. Like... <laughs> Gets the shot and then he's like the first fatality. Oh uh, yeah, the first fatality. <laughs> you're going to be fine, man. Like just, just like the, the, Plan for the day after you're going to be in slightly rough shape. So just treat yourself a little bit that day. You'll be fine. And then you'll be fine by that night. It's really not that big of a deal. Hell yeah. Good to hear. It's a lot better than getting it. I don't think you want to get it. <laughs> That's no, true. I know, dude. That yeah. is true. Yeah. Definitely don't want to get it. From what I've heard, your reaction to it is similar to what your reaction to actually getting it would have been. So I would have been a little bit sick. She would have been asymptomatic. If you did have it, apparently you're going to have a stronger reaction to the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. So like, like John's now just had it so he's like how long do i have to wait till i get a vaccine now talk to question. your doctor <laughs> but justin right. this has been great man uh got a lot of insight from you really appreciate your time and uh we'll let you get to that clubhouse with yeah, Justin's a fucking legend by the way like yeah. he's been in the game way longer than me um i remember looking at his shit you can add this part to the podcast before <laughs> i remember looking at his shit on cone sound oh wow yeah 2013 i was a big like heavy into dubstep and cone sound was like you know I, I absolutely love them and i found out he made the album cover to it and ever since then i've always loved his work but that album cover i remember looking at it just thinking how the fuck did this guy do this 
And I could remember like going in Photoshop at that time, back when that was like 2014 and having no clue what the fuck to do. Cause I didn't even know what cinema 4d was back in 2014. So, and if you had cinema 4d, you wouldn't be able to make, cause like I was telling the guys, I made the, the raw render for that in Bryce 3d. <laughs> and I deposited in Photoshop so you would have had no chance. But I, I feel bad for people who looked at that stuff and tried to work out how to do it in Photoshop because you'd have to kill yourself to make that in Photoshop. It'd be oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I was killing myself, dude. I just couldn't figure <laughs> it out. I think I even asked you and you told me, you said, I don't remember what you told me something that you about how you made it. And I still didn't even come close. Well, it was a cool EP, that, that Dynasty EP. I really liked that one. Yeah. I was able to do some covers for some stuff I really enjoyed back then. I did one for a Joe Ford EP called Culture. If you liked dubstep, you should look up Culture. That thing's... I'm going to check it out. But, yo, dude, we'll let you go. We know you got you got a call to hop on now. So at least give something that we could add to the podcast there. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Guys. <laughs> I mean, that was a blast. Like, we could have done that for 10 times as long. Yeah, dude. All right, man. Wonderful, wonderful content. <laughs> <laughs> Please do that as the intro to this thing. So today we have Justin Maller and it's just wonderful, wonderful content. <laughs> I think we will. I think we'll use that. Yeah. All right, Joe. Love right. chatting. Have a great night. So, we'll be in touch. See ya. Later, Piz. Later. Damn, that's nifty.